Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. We have been in John chapter 1 for about eight, we, eight sermons now. And we've gotten through verse 18. Today we're going to almost double. Today we are going to double just about what we've done in eight sermons in one. But we'll probably won't be finished with this uh, passage just today, to be honest with you. But I do want to look at a, a lengthy passage of scripture this morning. Uh, starting verse 19. I titled the sermon, Then Along Comes Jesus. Because in reality, what John is now doing is turning from his prologue, which was a theological discussion of who Christ is, what Christ has come to do. A, a, a glorious uh, statement about Jesus goes back to before the foundation of the world. I mean, it's, it's who he was in eternity past, and now what he's come to do to be light and life and the, the way people received that or didn't receive it. I mean, he, he covers a multitude in that first 18 verses of his gospel. And then coming down in verse 18 to close it out with that, just that intimacy of, of Jesus and the Father. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. In the bosom is a, a statement of very close intimacy that the Son, the incarnate God, has with God the Father for all of eternity. And so there's that, that beautiful expression of Jesus has come to show us the Father, to explain the Father in ways that he's never been explained through thousands of years of prophetic history. And, and, re and revealed history. Uh, but now Jesus has come to give us a new understanding, a new sight of the Father. And now Jesus is coming on the scene. And John begins that, John the evangelist, John the gospel writer, begins it by going back again to John the Baptist. Now he's already spoken of John the Baptist coming and, and, and his ministry, but now he, he comes back to talk about historically the things that took place as Jesus comes on the scene. I want you to hear this. I'm going to read verses 19 through 34. And I want you to hear how John expresses this. And, and I realize John and John the Baptist can get a little confusing. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about the Baptist? I think it will be clear as we move through it. Verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? I mean, that, here John's appeared on the scene, and, and they want to know who he is. He's doing something quite unusual, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And he confessed and did not deny, but he did confess, I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, well, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John says, I am, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And John answered and said to them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he maintained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is one, the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Word of God. Every four years, we do something in this country that is commonplace. Every four years, we elect a, a new president, a new leader of the nation. And, and, and that happens in November, and the tally, votes are tallied, and the Electoral College cast its vote, and everything's made official, and everything's made uh, right uh, official. And, and then on January, we have a major celebration that we call an inauguration. And, and the inauguration takes place on the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., with all the pomp and ceremony and, and all the big wigs across the nation, both local, state, and national uh, people that come, and they stand there. And, and I remember standing there several years ago, in, in, uh, well, twice I've stood there in, in inaugurations, not up where the big wigs are, but about a mile away where I see them they're looking about that big, but it's still exciting to be there. And the Chief Justice of the United States stands before that crowd and he walks up at the appropriate time with a Bible in his hand and he holds out the Bible and the newly elected president places his hand on the Bible and he swears to defend the Constitution of the United States and take the oath of the office uh, and he takes the, take the office seriously. He does that in a way to, to be inaugurated, to set apart, be set apart and to be established as president of the United States. Now let's just suppose that this coming January... After all the votes have been counted, after all the Electoral College has done their thing and everything's official and everything is right in line with the way it's always been, tradition is being observed clearly that somebody were to come upon the, the, the Capitol steps, maybe before the inauguration ceremony actually is to take place, and he were to stand there and he were to start saying, I am here to inaugurate the new president. And I'm here to name that new president as being somebody that wasn't elected by the traditional ways. I'm here to say that I've come to inaugurate John Smith, whoever that might be, as president of the United States. And when I do this, I want you to know he's the one you're to follow after. Now, first of all, the one claiming to do the inauguration would probably be arrested and taken off to a loony bin somewhere, right? And they'd say, what authority do you come by? Who gave you the authority to name anybody President of the United States, much less inaugurate them into that office? And whoever he was trying to inaugurate, if he showed up, would probably be arrested too because there was absolutely no tradition, no authority, no way that could be seen by our, our way of government that that person could do what they, were what they were claiming to do. Well, get that idea when you think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes on the scene out of nowhere, wearing strange clothing, eating strange food, some of the other Gospels tell us. And he came on the scene and he started baptizing in the River Jordan. And he started baptizing people for the 
remission of sins, for the repentance of sins. They would say we've repented, and he would baptize them for their sins. And so all of a sudden, as this crowd starts gathering, these people start gathering around, they say, well, this guy's got something to say, and he's, he's talking about something new and something totally different. He's talking about the Messiah. So the Pharisees, who traditionally have said that they were looking forward to the Messiah coming, comes to John and says, well, who are you? Where did you come from? Who gave you the authority to start baptizing? You didn't come out of the Pharisaical line. Pharisaical line. You were not a Pharisee. You weren't even a Sadducee. You didn't serve in the temple. You've not been inaugurated. You're not of the, of the, of the lineage of, of the high priest. Who do you think you are coming and baptizing? And, and basically, John says, well, I'm here to inaugurate the Messiah. I'm here to point to the Messiah. I'm here to show you who it is that you really ought to follow. And the Pharisees, who have been looking for him, who have been looking for the Messiah for, for theoretically for a couple of thousand years now, and, and they say, well, why would we listen to you? You didn't come from within us. You're not one of us. It'd be just like somebody going to the Capitol steps in January, the day before the inauguration of the president, saying, I've come to give you the real president. I've come to tell you about the real person who you're to follow and who's to lead this nation. And, and, and so they look at him and they say, you're, you're, you're out of your ever-loving mind. This one must be strange. He looks strange. He sounds strange. He probably is somewhat strange. From human eyes. But what I want you to see is understand the Pharisees and those whom they sent, this, this group of, of priests and Levites, those who came who were who were the official order, who did have the all their credentials, and who did have all the right paperwork, they came and said, Who are you and what are you doing? Who are you? And why are you talking about the Messiah? We'll know the Messiah when he gets here because he will come from within us. We're, we're certain of that. We're absolutely certain of that. And John said, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm coming. I'm, and they said, well, tell us, are you the Christ? He said, no, I'm not the Christ. He said, well, are you Elijah or are you the prophet? And he said, no, I'm not either one of those. Then who are you? And John says, I am just I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness and saying, make straight the way of the Lord. So I, I don't have all the credentials. I don't have all the pedigree that you're looking for. I don't have the, I don't have the seminary education from, from the Levitical school, seminary school. I don't, I don't have all that. I'm just one that God has come upon my life and told me, you're going to see the Messiah, and you're going to pave the way. You're going to set the way straight for the coming of Messiah. And he's here. He's already among you. I didn't recognize him at first, and you won't recognize him. You don't know who he is, but he is here. Now, in those first verses, 19 through 26 primarily, uh, I, or 19 through 28, I want you to see a couple of things that are very significant and very important as we think about this one coming to inaugurate the Messiah. First of all, I want you to see John's, John's example of true humility. An example of true humility. Uh, you might even say an instructive example of true humility that John the Baptist himself shows us. 
Jesus will say later that John the Baptist is the greatest among saints. He's the greatest that's ever lived as far as human beings go. Jesus is going to give him that kind of affirmation. And yet John says, when they say, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? John says, no, I'm none of these. I am merely one who has come to cry, make way, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just here to say what Isaiah said. I'm to point that direction. Basically what John is saying there, John the Baptist is saying there is, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm just coming to, to start pointing. I, my whole job is not to say, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. Come and hear what I have to say. No, my whole purpose is, is to say, listen, there is one coming. He's already among you. You're going to see him real soon. You're going to see him in this passage. And he's going to come on the scene. Along comes Jesus. And that's the one you're to listen to. That's the one you're to follow. He must increase. I must decrease. I will be gone in a, in a whisper. But he will come in as a lion. He will come in as one who comes to change everything. I want you to see that instructive example of humility, true humility that John gives us. You know, that's the way it's always been through the centuries. Even after John, those who have been most used in the kingdom of God are not those who draw attention to themselves. They're not the ones who say, I can do this for you, and, and I can make you happy, and I can make you wealthy, and I can do all these things for you. They're not the ones who say, I can do something and, and try to build a, a kingdom for themselves. They're the ones who say, listen, I am nothing. I only, have the, I, I only have the strength, and I only have the wisdom, and I only have the ability to point you to somebody who really is something. And that's Jesus. There's this instructive humility that God calls each of us to. John, Peter said in his little epistle of 1 Peter, he said, you know, God exalts those who humble themselves. And God tears down those who exalt themselves. There's this humility that's to be characterized by the Christian life. There's this, this humility that's to be characterized by those who would seek to show others the Messiah. Because if there's not humility, it draws attention not to him but to us. That's why we have to realize Oak Leaf Lane is no great achievement by us. That building is not so people say, boy, Grace Baptist Church did a great job. They built a great building. No, the whole purpose of that is to say God has done a great work among us, and we stand in awe of that completely and absolutely. There's this example of true humility. The second thing I want you to see in those first verses there, uh, 19 through 28, and that is just the, the absolute mournful blindness of unconverted man. The, 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 the scribes, the priests and the Levites, those whom the Jews had sent, those whom the, the Pharisees had sent out to find out about him, they came and they made the claim, we've been looking for Messiah. That's what we're waiting on. That's what we're living for. And yet when the Messiah comes on the scene, they are blinded to who he is. Natural man is blinded to that. That's why I, I, I thought about that song earlier that we sang, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. 
natural man is blind. And unless God's Spirit opens his eyes, and John's going to talk about the Spirit in just a moment, unless God's Spirit opens the eyes for a man to see or a woman to see, they will never see the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to deal with that with Nicodemus in chapter 3 of this book. And he's going to say, you know, unless you're born again, unless your eyes are open, and unless your heart is open to believe, you will never even see the kingdom of God. It's not a work of man, it's a work of God. He said that in the prologue. It's not by the will of man or by the will of the flesh, but it's, it's God who brings about redemption. It's God who brings about the ability to see. These Pharisees and their representatives said, we're looking for Messiah, we want the Messiah, but they could not see him. Even as he came upon them, even as he had one from God pointing the way they were blinded to that so he said why are you baptizing then if you're not the prophet you're not the messiah you're not the you're not elijah and he said i just i baptize with water <laughs> she said it's just john says it's just water i'm baptizing with this has no meaning other than just an expression of what's taking place same way with water baptism today it's, it's not a matter of of going into the water I, i've known a lot of people have gone into the water of baptism that came out of the water just as just as lost as they were when they went in baptism doesn't save john's baptism couldn't save but he said there is one coming who's a higher rank than i there's one coming who, who i know that i'm not even i'm not even fit to untie his sandal i'm not worthy to even do that he's coming and, and he's not going to just baptize with water he's going to baptize with the holy spirit now now be careful here john's not saying okay we're baptized with water and then later we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that at all. Spirit baptism was part of the conversion. Spirit baptism was a part of being born again. And, and he's just saying that what I'm doing is not capable of saving anybody, only what he does when he comes. So, so in John 29 through 34 in this passage, and, and I want you just to see several things that John says here, important things. First of all, in verse 29, the thing that was most shocking, no doubt, to those who came from the Pharisees who were standing about watching is when he said, listen, I, I, uh, the next day I saw Jesus coming to him, to John the Baptist, and, and, and John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a very shocking statement. Now, now, some commentaries will tell you that, well, what John's meaning, here's one who's coming meek and quiet and gentle, just like a little lamb. And, and that may be true. In fact, that is true. He does come meek and gentle, and, and he, is, he is gentle in his, in, in his nature. There's nothing bombastic about the nature of Jesus that we see in all the Gospels. But that's not what John meant. And that's not what those Pharisees heard. What those Pharisees were heard was, and we've talked about this numerous times before, but it's important to repeat it. What those Pharisees heard was, here is one who is, who is the sacrificial lamb that's offered every day of atonement as a sacrifice for the sin of the people. Here's one that represents that death for sin. Here's one that represents even that scapegoat where the, the sins by the, are, are, are symbolically laid upon his head by the, by the high priest and it's taken out in the wilderness to fall off a cliff. Th this is one who is more than just a meek little coming preacher. This is one who is, who, who is the Lamb of God completely, the sacrifice of God completely. That's who he is in his nature. That's who he is in his character. 
That's who he is as he comes. We, we know that Jesus came into the world to die as a sacrificial lamb on an altar 2,000 years ago called the cross at Calvary. And that's what John is speaking of. That's what John is pointing to. But he not only talks about who he is, the Lamb of God, using that peculiar name that, that the people just immediately perked up and lived. But secondly, in the same verse, I want you to see the particular work of Christ. It's, it's He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he takes away sin. He comes as a lamb to die. But as the scapegoat did, symbolically, he does, in reality, he takes away the sin of all those who believe, of everyone who comes to him by faith. He, he takes their sin away. He removes their sin from their life. I mean, that's, that's the glory of what the new birth is all about. We no longer pay for our sins. We no longer suffer for our sins. We no longer have to pay a penalty for our sins. That penalty has been paid by this sacrificial lamb who takes the sin away. And if you're in Christ, you stand in Christ as, as one who is, as it were, without sin. Now, we know we still sin, and we know we still struggle with that on this life. I still struggle with that every day. You still struggle with that. But in reality, in positionally speaking before God, we stand there clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we stand there as though it were we had no sin. It's the glory of Christianity. It's the only faith that ever offers that, only says anything about that. Everything else, you've got to keep trying and keep trying to pay for it. You've got to, you got to deal with it. You've got to pay the price. You've got to suffer for it. You got to, none of that's true in, in genuine biblical Christianity. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Now, I could stop there and say, listen, just spend the next week thinking about that. Because that's glorious. That's, that's liberating. That's, that sets you free. And, and, and what John is just saying here is understand in doing that that Christ is the Savior. That's why he came. He came to save his people from their sins. He came as a Savior. He came as a Lamb of God, a sacrifice to take the sin away. He's a Savior. He, he didn't come to earth to be a conqueror or a philosopher or even a moral teacher. That's not why he came. He came to save sinners. Of which Paul says he is the chief of all, and I would argue with Paul there because I think I've got him beat. The chief of all sinners. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save people who think they are noble in their own right, who are sinless in their own power, who are good before God because they try hard. That, that's not who he came to save sinners. Those who say, I need a Savior. He came as a complete Savior, not just a Savior, but the complete Savior. He, he came to take away sin. He, he didn't come and just make some kind of vague proclamations about pardon and mercy and forgiveness, although he talked about all those. But he came and he took our sins upon himself and he carried them away. You know, the liberal theologian will say, well, that's bloody. We, we have a bloody religion. I, I'll just tell you that right now. If you, don't, if you don't like blood or like thinking about blood, then you won't like Christianity because Christianity is a bloody religion. It, it, it's contingent upon the blood of Christ being shed. 
And, and the liberal theologian will say, well, why, why didn't God just say, I forgive you? Why didn't God just say, oh, it's no big deal? He didn't because it is a big deal. And he didn't because sin is not dealt with apart from death. Now, God could have said, okay, I'm not going to send Jesus to die in your place. I'm not going to send Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. I'm just going to let your blood take care of your sin. But it couldn't take care of it in a saving way. Your blood shed for your sin would lead to eternal damnation, according to God's word. But here was the, sin, here was the, the blood of one that was sinless. Here was the blood of one who was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, a Savior, the Savior, the complete Savior. But not only that, an almighty Savior. Because it says he came to take away the sin of the world. Now, those, those the Jews, and that's an interesting phrase that, that John uses. Some have said he's anti-Semitic because he always uses the Jews. He's not anti-Semitic. He was a Jew himself as was Jesus, as was John the Baptist. I mean, the, the, but the Jews here, more, like, more, more times than not, the term the Jews is used by John to talk about those who just would not, just could not see the Savior. And the Jews would say there is forgiveness of sin. There is forgiveness of sin at the altar in the temple or in the, in the synagogue when the sacrifice is offered and the lamb is killed and, and, and the Payment is paid for that year on the Day of Atonement. There is forgiveness of sin for us, for the Jews. And those who would become a Jew, who were not naturally born, but who would go through the rite of circumcision and other ceremonial cleanings and cleansings, and, and they're acceptable there too, but they have to become a Jew first. And, and so the Jews would say, there is forgiveness of sin, but only for us. Now, they misread the whole Old Testament because the Old Testament always had the Jewish people to be a, a missionary people. They were always to take the truth of God's gospel, God's grace, God's goodness to all the nations, but they didn't do that. They said, no, this is just ours. We're going we're gonna to enjoy it. We're going to dwell on it. We're going we're gonna to be satisfied in it. How often do churches act that way? But Jesus came as a mighty Savior, an almighty Savior, and he came as a Savior for all of mankind. He opened the door so that from every tongue, tribe, nation, language, people group, people would come to faith in Christ. It wasn't just for the, it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for a small group. It was for all the world who would hear and respond to the gospel. Not only is he a complete Savior and almighty Savior, I want you to know he's a perpetual and untiring Savior because he's still taking away sin from all who believe. Lastly, in this passage, I want you to see the significance. Like I say, we'll come back to this. This is not exhausting, this passage, by any means. But I want you to see what John says about the particular office or the peculiar office that Jesus, uh, that John the Baptist attributes to Christ, to Jesus Christ. He said, I've seen, him I've seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and 
he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he, that is God who sent me to baptize in water, said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. It's the first time that's used. First time that's expressed that he is the Son of God. He is the incarnate God in the flesh, the only begotten of the Father. And John the Baptist says, God in calling me to this ministry of forerunner, God in calling me to this ministry of pointing the way and making straight the way of the Lord, he has spoken to me and said, when you see the dove ascending, when you see this, this, this heavenly dove ascending and, and lighting upon his shoulder, lighting upon Jesus, the one you see that happening to, he's the one who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. The water symbolizes stuff. The water washes away external dirt. But the Holy Spirit cleanses within. The Holy Spirit changes your heart. The Holy Spirit can only, the, the baptism by the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, can only be done by one. It's not, a, it's not a pastor's prerogative. It's not a prophet's prerogative. It's not John the Baptist's prerogative. But it's only the Son of God who can baptize in the Holy Spirit. It's only him. So John says, I want you to see when it, when these, these Jews who came to question him, he said, don't look at me, I'm not important. Don't think that I'm here to do anything spectacular. I'm here to do one thing, and that is when that man walks down out of the crowd, he's standing in the crowd right now, he's right here among us. Next, next passage we'll see that he, he steps out of the crowd. But right now he's here among us, and my only job is for, for, uh, for my ministry is to point you to him. I'm nothing. He is everything. And that's still our message today. It's still what we're called to do today. It's not to call to say, hey, come to Grace. We're a great church. Hey, we're good. We're, we have a lot of fun. We, we, we get along. We, we, we fellowship well together. It's, it's just a great place. Come to Grace. Man, Grace hadn't got anything to offer apart from Jesus Christ. Our call is not to call people to Grace. Well, it is to call people to grace, but not Grace Baptist Church. It's to call people to the grace of Jesus Christ and say, there's the one who can baptize in the Holy Spirit. There's the one who can change your life. Now, when he changed your life, you want to be a part of the body. You want to be a part of the family. Hey, this is a good place to be, to be a part of the body. But I want you to know, our call is not to say we're so good, because we're not. Our call, our call is to say, I'm, I'm just like a voice crying in the wilderness. I have nothing to offer you in my own right. I have nothing to give you of myself. But I know one. I know one that I can and will point you to, who is the Son of God, who is the Messiah, who is the Christ, who does real baptism. Not with water, whether by dipping or by sprinkling. Not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And folks, if you don't have that baptism, 
John's saying, if you don't have that baptism, by the Son of God, in the Holy Spirit, changing your heart, that I don't care if you're baptized, if you're sprinkled as a kid, immersed as a teenager, immersed again as an adult, and just to be sure, immersed again as an older adult, I don't care how many times you've been through the water, the water does nothing if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit by God. Not a second blessing. It's what happens at new birth. It's what happens at conversion. It's not something extra. It's not something special. Well, it is special, but it's not special after salvation. It's special in salvation. So you can go through the water a hundred times. I told you about the guy, Harold, one time, not in Somerset, in my first church out of seminary. Harold wanted to be baptized, and I talked to him. I said, well, when did you come to Christ? He said, well, the first time, about 30 years ago. I said, the first time? He said, yeah, I've done it about every two years since then. You know, I get saved, and then I get lost, and I get saved and get lost. I have to be baptized again. I said, how many times have you been baptized? He said, well, I think 17. I say, what? Of course, the reality was he'd never been baptized. He got wet, but he'd never been baptized. That's what John is saying. John's saying, here's the message. We proclaim one who baptizes without water we proclaim one who baptizes in power and in fire and in the Holy Spirit we, we proclaim one who changes lives because he baptizes for real ours can only symbolize it ours can only point to it come to Christ not to John the Baptist not to a church not to a preacher or a pastor. We come to Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, it is by your grace that we are saved that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit it's by your work not our own it's by your strength and by your truth and Father we lean upon that we depend upon that above everything else and Lord, I pray now that your Holy Spirit will move among us. That Christ, by your Spirit, will baptize men and women who don't know you. Call them to yourself. Have them confess faith in Christ. And symbolize what you're doing in their life by water baptism. But the water baptism can't save them. Only you can. Father, speak that truth to our hearts. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Use us as John the Baptist out in this community to not draw attention to ourselves, to our church, but to draw attention to Christ. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.